Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Carter Worth, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Tim Seymour. Well, as you see there, the man who called this week's market meltdown is back. The chart master will tell us where he sees things headed from here. Plus, Voldemort strikes again. We will tell you what sent shares of Snap tumbling today. And later, why investors and Constellation brands are feeling the hangover today. It's got nothing to do with the booze. We'll explain. We begin with the mother of all countdown clocks. Now we're not talking about countdown to trade talks or the Fed or even the countdown to Christmas. I think there are 82 days, by the way, to Christmas. Mm-hmm. We're talking the countdown to jobs. The monthly payrolls numbers hits in just over 15 hours from now. Given the wild market swings we've seen this week, will tomorrow's report be a make or break moment for the rest of the year, Tim? Well, the good news, Mel, for those that thought that Today's data in the ISM, we, we built this up today as being almost make or break, too. So you had an ISM services, and I, I'm going to answer your question about payrolls, but you know, this number today was, was seemingly critical, um, and it wasn't a good number. So we printed a very poor ISM. We came in at kind of two points cheaper than we expected. It's still growth, but a 52 handle. I mean, this is something that the markets didn't expect, and the S&P sold off accordingly. And then, uh, very resilient, got to a place where people started to make assessments, different reasons as to why we rallied. But that payroll number tomorrow, um, because of the weakness we saw in the ADP and because the, the building momentum and all we do is talk about the consumer, let's look at the wage gains. Let's look at the hours worked. I think those are the biggest parts of this. Obviously, private payrolls are, are the things to really watch. There could be some skew from census workers and whatnot. So that's what people are trying to, to, to really determine right now. And yes, very, very important. But you have to be encouraged by how the market dealt with a very poor ISM on what was already a bad week of U.S. data. What yeah. you make of it? Well, so, it, it, I mean, it was a horrible number today. What was interesting to me today is that what everybody's been worried about all year is, is the manufacturing slowdown going to leak into the services sector? And that is showing yes. The answer is yes to that. So with the report tomorrow, we've got this unemployment report. Does that mean we're start to gonna, starting to see some layoffs, perhaps, or some weakness in the job market? So I actually think you could see another scenario like we saw today, where market is, it goes into the day relatively flat, it sells off, and then you get to a certain point where all of a sudden maybe people start to see value for various reasons, and they buy the market again. But I do think tomorrow's job report is going to set the tone for the rest of the year because it's going to set the tone about what the Fed's going to do and how players are going to be positioned relative to what bond yields are doing. I would rather see the, the economy fundamentally stronger, right? So even if that good means, news is good news, uh, right? For me, even if that means a hotter payroll number, which the market would maybe likely react as, okay, the Fed can step back a little. We're not going to have for sure two or three uh, cuts. I'd rather have that because ultimately, what is the point of a Fed cut to st- to stoke the economy? Right. I'd rather to cut to the chase and have the economy do better. That might lead to a bad tape. I don't know. I, th- so be it if it does. Uh, but uh, it sort of doesn't make sense to me why that would be better news to have a weaker number. I mean, I think the, probably the biggest data point for me is what happened in the two-year, right? We, we made a new shocking low 
And what we've also seen is the total unwind of this embracing of the value trade, so that all of the movement in energy up off the lows and financials, industrials, it's all gone kaput, right? And now we're starting to lose some of the tech names as well. Hmm. I mean, the, the thing here is that the Jerome Powell has made clear that the cuts so far, they're insurance cuts. And so if the payroll numbers comes in week tomorrow, then what happened? The question is what yeah, happened I, to that insurance and how many more bullets does the Fed have at this point, which would be concerning. I mean, insurance implies, you know, you're worried about something happening in the future. Right. I think the data that we've seen is showing it's happening now. I mean, if you, you have consumer confidence, that is rolling over. That's a big number. ISM services, rolling over. Capital goods orders today, that's a big number. That was negative. So this is happening. And these are also numbers from last month, remember. This is not, these, these are numbers that already occurred. So the slowdown is going on. So I actually think the Fed is very far behind the curve that the insurance cut was, they're going to have to cut more faster. They may be, Brian, but do you, do you think that the Fed even matters anymore? No, no. Um, I, I think the Fed matters only if... Um, they, you know, th- this is the irony. I don't think they can do anything with monetary policy at this point, except for the fact that they can ruin them. They can bother the market um, by not bringing enough monetary policy. Karen's dead right. Good news is good news. We want good news. Bad news is not good news right now. And, 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 and Carter's right. I mean, look what happened to the two year. We actually people we've had people parade on this show in the last two weeks that said the low in yields is in. Um, how many times have we heard that? Two years sets a new low. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the curve is steeper. So we're now 14, 15 bips on twos, tens. Nothing to do cartwheels over when, in fact, you're actually seeing the low end, which is an expectation of where the Fed's going to go, is going lower. So, I mean, to your point, though, th- there is not a single CEO or company out there that is saying, hell, you know what? If interest rates were 25 basis points lower, I'd open a new factory. I'd hire 20,000 more workers. Nobody has any problems with where interest rates are. So I don't think the Fed is going to have any impact. They could cut rates to zero. It's not going to change the economic situation. I think it was interesting with the EU news today. You know, the market didn't like that at the open. I think we were just so oversold from the last few days that even with some bad news, mm-hmm. we're due for a bounce. I mean, the VIX had gotten, we'll get to that later a little further, but it had gotten pretty right. high. And but, so, I mean, the sectors that did bounce, I mean, did it make for a convincing rally at this point, Carter? I mean, when no, you see it semis all feels go up, very, look, I mean, all the IPOs go higher, sure, you know. I mean, if you plunge, often you get a counter-trend move. But the issue is which is the primary data point and which is the secondary. The dropping is the primary data point. The recovery is the secondary data point. And all that means that you're not convinced by the small bounce that we had in today's session. Well, uh, again, Carter's Carter's right to be pessimistic and seeing a lot of charts that are breaking down. Um, I can look at the semis and say, think about all the cyclicality that we don't see on the tape right now in terms of data. And this is performing remarkably well. Uh, think of everything we've thrown at semiconductors. Think of everything uh, we've, we've hurt in terms of you know, enterprise and CEOs who don't want to spend in their business. Obviously, the headlines on China. So you know, I look at that. And I look at the SMH closing you know, somewhere around 118, 119. We're only a couple points off of the all-time highs. And yet we've had terrible data in the U.S. and around the world in the last two weeks. The market, too, in a way. S&P's only down five which should make you should make you more confident i guess or or make you wonder hey if that's we're still so rich what what is the downside so you seem extra bearish 
bear suit zipped up nice and snug in there good to see in the bear suit I mean was the services number sort of was that the latest was that the straw here honestly it was consumer confidence last week that really was the one that kind of tipped me over because that's your leading indicator and what also when I saw Europe starting to roll over I think Europe has a very very big problem they are further on down the path of monetary policy not working we have a lot of things coming up with Brexit potentially coming up that could be a wild card out there so to me I just don't see a lot of reason to be crazy long this market I don't think I'm with in Carter's camp so this is a bounce I think we probably see this end up going lower from here all right well our next guest says there is a magic number to watch in tomorrow's jobs report let's bring in Mark Habana head of U.S. rate strategy at Bank of America Mark welcome back to the show what is that number and and we should preface this with that tomorrow's jobs number is going to be a little tricky because of temporary census hiring, and so it won't be completely a clear number here. That's right. So I think you want to look at the private payroll growth Mm -hmm. there, um, which we think will be relatively robust, around 125,000, pretty close to where consensus is right now. But I do think that right now the market's very fragile. It's very worried about a potential slowdown that is expanding beyond surveys and into the jobs market. You've not seen claims really back up yet, but I do worry what the bond market is telling you is that if you see a number, let's say, below 100,000 or something like that, that that will be a real sign of concern that this slowdown could be a bit more broad-based than we had perhaps initially expected. Now, similarly, if you see a number that's, let's call it 175,000 or higher, I think that would provide a lot of relief to the market. And I do think that what the market wants right now is good news about the economy, because it's had a pretty bad string of data. Consumer confidence last week, the services and uh, non-manufacturing uh, components this week have been a bit troubling. And right now, the bond market is sending pretty bad signs. It's, it's expecting the Fed to move beyond this sort of insurance cut or mid-cycle adjustment that the Fed has been in right. and into something that's more like a recession firefight. So you're now expecting, you know, with almost full pricings, um, a cut in October from the Fed and another cut in December from the Fed. It's about 20 basis points priced for each, about 80% of each ones of those. And then another couple of cuts next year from the Fed. So the market's becoming a bit more pessimistic, and they're telling you, I think, that there's good reason to worry about how durable um, economic growth will be in the future. Today's session was really interesting to watch in that uh, equities markets bounced and the rates market still rolled over and went, went to new lows. And so I'm wondering how vulnerable you think rates are going into tomorrow's print and, and what happens if we do get uh, a negative number. Yeah, so there's, I think, a lot of bad news that's already priced, and I think that that's probably how the market is currently leaning right now in terms of in positioning. In the bond market. In, yes, in the okay. downward yield direction. Uh-huh. So a lot of bad news that's already in there. Therefore, you might see a little bit of a bigger you know, bounce higher in yields if you do get a more positive number. Um, but again, I think if you see a number that's roughly around 100,000, there's no magic number here. I do worry, though, that a number that's below 100,000 is clearly below the break-even rate at which the jobs market is expanding, and it'll tell you that there's real risks that the unemployment rate starts to rise for bad reasons. If you see that kind of print, I do worry that the the market's going to be believing that there are much higher risks of a recession in the near term. Now, it's not our baseline, but if you see the jobs market go and if you see the consumer go, we know that the consumer has been the only thing that's been keeping the economy really resilient right now. If those factors start to fade, then I think that you do need to worry about a a more prominent slowdown in the U.S. Let me ask you, GM, 48,000 workers who are currently still employed, right, although I think they're getting 200 or $250 a week. When does that start to bleed through? How long does that last before 
maybe the suppliers or whoever feeds into GM starts to have an effect. Yeah, so um, you know there could be some distortions due to the GM strike that's going on right now. Um, how long does it take to necessarily bleed through? It's certainly not a positive for the economy right now. Uh, but what I would say is that it is encouraging that you've not yet seen initial jobless claims really begin to rise materially, right? We had those numbers this morning. They were still relatively resilient, slightly higher than the market was anticipating, but not really showing signs of material concerns about the labor market just yet. The strikes won't help provide a real clear picture on you know, how the economy is evolving, um, but I do think that if you see a pretty significant downside risk, that's all you really need to or miss. That's all you really need to know. So, Mark, uh, we've had people come through here and talk about the bond market and credit spread, so the difference between the yield on high yield and, and treasuries. We haven't seen a meaningful widening out, although the last two days there was a bit of a widening out. What are you seeing in that market? Are there cracks in high yields that we should be concerned about? And it's been remarkably resilient, and I think there's a few reasons for that. Number one, the equity market has held in quite well. Number two, you're seeing, I think, spillover from investors abroad into the U.S. market. There is a bit of a global chase for yield, and foreign investors can still get a nice return on investing in higher-yielding U.S. corporate debt at the moment. Uh, and so those are very, very positive technicals. It also helps that there's the expectation that the Fed is going to begin to grow its balance sheet in the relatively near future to deal with some of these repo market disruptions that we have seen, not quantitative easing, but due to more technical factors that have caused short-term interest rates to spike somewhat. That's another positive technical, I think, for the high-yield market. So those are all quite favorable at the moment. Now, if the U.S. economy begins to show broader signs of a slowdown, if the consumer cracks, then I would think that you're, you, you could see a bit more spread widening in those areas. Will we see yields go lower? Will we see yields hit new lows? And, and do you think at the same time that the spread could actually uh, widen? Uh, so it's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that rates will be going lower. Um, just given economic fundamentals, uh, the perception that consumer concept, co- confidence is deteriorating, um, that percolating through the economy, and a Fed which will stop slow-walking the eases, again, moving out of this insurance cut area to now being likely more responsive to broader signs of slowdown in the economy. We think that all of that will put downward pressure on base borrowing rates, and our forecast is for the 10-year by the end of the year to hit 125. So, you know, new lows, at least, in the base borrowing rate. Not particularly optimistic. Uh, We don't believe that you've seen the lows thus far this year. We think that there's still a bit more downside to yields there. And it really depends on uh, how responsive the Fed is, how they boost risk sentiment, and how the equity market holds up. And again, there's positive technicals in the credit markets right now, but if the economy begins to slow, I think that you'll see spreads widen just because the economy should trump some of those technical factors. I mean, the interesting on the 10-year, the 10-year never made the low, right, whereas the 30-year did. So you're in the camp that obviously it does, and it does it substantially. I mean, again, we think that there's downside risks. And when you've got a global backdrop where you've got negative rates around the world, um, where you've got you know, monetary policy at the lows in many other developed markets, we think that that's another technical that's going to keep putting downward pressure on long-end rates. Mark, great to see you. Thank, Thank you. you. Mark Havana, Bank of America, Maryland. One, two, five on the 10-year. Well, I tell you what, for a lot of by the way, yeah. Great stuff by Mark. Spitting image of Dustin Pedroia, second baseman for the Red Sox. Yes, sure. I was thinking that myself. I bet he hears it all the time. He's not here anymore on the desk, but I bet he hears it. Oh, there he is. So so 125 on rates. What does that mean ultimately for a lot of the trades that have have been, uh, you know, call them defensive trades? It certainly does a lot for multiples. It does a lot for staples. Uh, I would also argue it's a deflation trade. So anything that we've seen in terms of asset uh, prices and people that have been pushing, trying to push into either commodity-related plays or things that are all about assets, 
asset, not good news. And in fact, those are trades that were part of that big, massive rotation. And it could be smacking a lot of people in the face because that's going straight down. We see one, two, five on the 10 year. What do markets do? Uh, I think markets, the equity markets are lower if you see one, two, five. I don't think the Fed cutting rates and low rates are going to change the economic outlook whatsoever. I do think that, I think there's very good odds that that's going to happen. If you look at what's happening in Europe, those yields are zero at this point in time. Using Japan as your historical kind of benchmark, they don't come off of zero for a long period of time. So you're going to get this flow into U.S. fixed income, into rates, but that is not going to have an impact on the economy whatsoever. All right. Coming up, we're keeping an eye on shares of Costco. Uh, it down one percent uh, in the after-hour session. Those earnings just out after the bell will break down the quarter. And later, the man who called the October meltdown is back. The chart master will tell us where he sees stocks heading next. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Costco, the retailer on the move in the after-hour session, down by less than a percent. Let's get to Leslie Picker at headquarters for the details. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. That call ongoing beginning about 19 minutes ago. Uh, just now, before we got to this hit, uh, they were talking about tariffs. They started talking about how they've been really active in managing and mitigating the impact of the tariffs and working with suppliers to do so. So we will let you know what more they say on that front. They've also gone through uh, the income statement and other numbers from the quarter. Costco had a slight miss on the top line, reporting $47.5 billion in the fourth quarter, about $70 million shy of Wall Street estimates. On the bottom line, the company did beat with $2.69 per share on an adjusted basis, more than $0.15 cents per share than analysts expected. On the call, Costco also said its number of members increased to 53.9 million households, up slightly year over year. And during the quarter, they said that they had 10 net new openings, mostly in the U.S., with one in the U.K., and then that first warehouse opening in China that got headlines during the quarter. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, um, you know, we're noting that the stock is down about a percent in the after-hour session. It was up a percent today, and it's still up 42% for the year. Beast. I mean, it yeah. really is. It's really amazing. It, yeah, it's a nice beat, but, I, you know, when you trade at this multiple, you got you got to just keep jumping over the bar higher and higher, which they actually have been doing for years. But, I mean, this, this is a great company. It, when you think about companies that are, recession-proof. None of them are probably recession-proof, but here's a good place to go to hide. I mean, to your point, the multiple, it was at its peak in 99, it was 32 times. Here it is 35 times. Now, the interest rate environment's different, but still, at some point, it's crowded. And I would say that's the circumstance here. If you think about where this has come from its December low, up 60, 65 percent. And interestingly, in the analyst community, their price target from 30 analysts that cover it is basically right where it is. So fundamentally, no one seems to like it, at least in terms of upside. And technically, it's a little stretched. That jump higher was really on the back of uh, the Shanghai 
opening. That's when we saw the There's a couple of things in there. Shanghai is one. Uh-huh. Um, better uh, margins from gas, um, so lower margins, and also just the membership up, you know, 5% or so is what people wanted to see. Uh, I'm with Carter on this one, though. I, 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 and I said this yesterday. All these big box re- retailers, I, I think, are trading at multiples um, that are not only because they've been defensive, and it's not that, look, execution at Target's been impressive. Um, Walmart's, you know, trying to convince you that they can compete with Amazon online. But, but if the consumer starts to weaken up, that's their consumer. That's the consumer that's losing the job. And, and I, I just think at, these, at this cycle, after a stock that's almost tripled in four and a half years, not that that should matter. Let's talk about the multiple now. But I don't, I don't need to own it. More insulated or less insulated than a Walmart or Target? Uh, probably, uh, probably less insulated, I would say. I think the, the Walmart customer is, gonna, is going there for that repeat type of buying where Costco, I mean, how many tubs of peanut butter do you need? I'm, you know, Depends I don't on know. who you are. Yeah, you <laughs> if you're in it, though, right? If you're in it now, how do you trade it? 282 was resistance. That was kind of the breakout from July, became support. So if we break below 282, then I think it's time to pull the ripcord. Once upon a time, they used to say that Costco's customer was like the Nordstrom customer. Oh, really? In terms of... Yeah, income so? and what was demographic. That, was and that a Target thing as well? There was the oh, I don't know about Target, but I know oh. for Costco it was. So I don't know if that makes if you it makes you think it's more insulated from economic woes or less. It seems to be insulated from everything bad <laughs> at least at this point. Yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. If I'm going to Costco, uh-huh. I'm also going to buy you know a, a fifteen hundred dollars sport coat at Nordstrom. Doesn't make sense to me. What am I, I missing? Know. No, you get those yeah, now at Costco. <laughs> oh, no. A little cheaper, though. That's, that's where I'm buying my sport coats. Well, you can read more about Costco's quarter on our website, CNBC.com. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in New York. Here's what else is coming up on the show. The man who called this week's sell-off is back. The Chartmaster will tell us where the market is headed next. And later, a tale of two fang stocks. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times for these two names. We'll tell you what the Dickens is going on when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Yet another day of whiplash on Wall Street. The market's kicking off the day with a huge sell-off before, all of a sudden, the Dow stage its biggest comeback since early August. But while everybody was scratching their heads, wondering what triggered the turnaround, our very own BK has one idea about what might have sparked the move. BK. Yeah, it's kind of interesting if you looked at what happened exactly when the market turned around. The dividend yield on the S&P 500 hit 2%. The 10-year yield hit 1.56%, so a difference of 0.44%. 
Since the end of July, every time that differential has gotten above 0.4% or 40 bips, the market has turned around. So what it tells me is there's a big player out there, and it has to be a big player because they move the market. Coming in, somehow they either see value at that level, maybe it has something to do with the quant quake that we saw, where people are rotating out of momentum, and maybe now into dividend playing stocks. But that's your trigger right there, and it happened almost to the minute. Soon as 2% was hit, dividend yield on the S&P was hit, boom, the market flipped around. You know, it's interesting because, first of all, we're near 60-year wides on this, what Brian's talking about. So there's no question that this is, this is a time people are paying attention to this. Uh, think about the rotation we had in August and, and the violence of some of it. It almost makes no sense, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not that something fun, fundamentally changed that much. We know that bonds had a big, almost a record three standard deviation rally, so yields lower in August, so you saw this rotation, but it does speak to the fact that there are algos and that there are machines at work that are tracking this kind of stuff. I really hate this kind of market, actually. I mean, you know, I believe that could be the trigger. Why not? It's a reasonable one. I just, you know, we're just floating around, hesitating, waiting until either we get some big trade news or uh, what I really want to see is earnings. That's the the most important thing to me. So we're not going to, we're in a little bit of a vacuum of information. Are you excited for earnings? I am I excited? Uh, I'm nervous anxious. and anxious, anxious. But you know, we'll get not only you know what what happened in the quarter, but their their outlook, and that's really important to me to really hear. Our CEOs are they really pulling back as much as we fear? What are they doing about the tariffs? How do they deal with this? It's one of the biggest. I mean, you mentioned trade, right? One of the biggest bumps that Mark has received in any given day over the past many many months is a tweet from the president about right. the trade thing. Well. We're not hearing those right now. And then if we were to hear that, would the market respond the same way it has every knee-jerk time? Would the market say, hmm, I don't think I, so. I think less every time. Exactly. I feel right. like it's crying wolf. Well, diminishing it, yeah. tweets. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. But maybe to the point where almost no response or the opposite. The opposite, okay. yeah. The flip, speaking of opposite, the flip side of this algo bounce is that when it narrows to a certain extent, is that the time yeah. to sell? so it's interesting. When that narrowed to zero, now we only have one data point, unfortunately, but when it oh. narrowed to zero, <laughs> that was the absolute top. So look at the, the orange lines going down right in the middle of September when it was zero. The dividend yield on the S&P 500 and the 10-year yield were exactly equal. Uh-huh. That was the top in the market. Huh. So, so I, I think you can at least look at this and look at those two differentials as a guide for how you're positioning your portfolio. Mm. All right. Well, if you caught the show on Monday, and of course you did, you might remember <laughs> that scenarios. Carter was sounding the alarm <laughs> that an October sell-off could be on the way. Here's what he saw in the charts. In this scenario, we are down hard here in October. We're backing and filling a bit in November, and then we plunge again as low as 2,400 and have a few weeks of strength ending at 2650. Now keep in mind, to get down to 2400, that'd be about a 19% sell-off. Despite today's comeback, stocks are still down big this month. So where are we headed next? Carter, why don't you head over to the plasma? Break a lot it down of there. guesswork. Let's go do some guessing and some analyzing and see what we can come up with. But uh, obviously slippery. Uh, people, I think, have been hurt and then uh, perhaps a little oversold and a little bit of a bounce, but all to what end? So chart of the S&P, no judgments, annotations by me, let's put in some lines. One thing to look at. Three distinct sell-offs. One, two, three. What percentages are they? The first one, down 7.6, down 6.8, down 5.5. How about the duration of the sell-offs? 22 days, 14 days, 15 days. So a lot of things. But here's the thing that's maybe a little bit worse about this one, in that we did not make a new high. That 
is a bit of a problem. This was an incremental new high, but really what this was was a failure to make a new high. So let's draw some lines. We've broken trend, and interestingly, today's kickback went right to that trend line and stopped. And then if you put in our flat top, there it is. Not a great setup. Again, I think the bias is to the downside and that uh, what we've seen in terms of trouble is just the precursor to more trouble. All right, Carter, why don't you come on back? Um, I thought there were six scenarios on Monday that he talked about. You thought that on Monday as well, and you're still you're wrong today. It's <laughs> on Monday because there aren't six. Sweet laugh track. So, uh, what, so what? I, I, look, you have to uh, pay you know heed what Carter's talking about. Think about Apple, um, which didn't make that new high. Think about J.P. Morgan, which maybe but really didn't hold that new high. Think about Home Depot. So we're talking about. Um, very, very popular crowded trades um, that, that certainly people have been able to have some justification on valuation um, and certainly some rotation element. And, and I would agree, those have been very disappointing moves. Yeah, even Costco falls into that yeah. Uh yeah, I mean, the, and, and again, these are also crowded trades, right, because they've been working. So you see a lot of people in the same names, and now all of a sudden things are starting to break down. So you don't have to have your bear suit on. You don't have to say the world's coming to the end. But you can also recognize that, wait a second, maybe it's not as easy as it was before. We don't know what the economy is going to do. The odds of us getting a trade deal, I think, are lower than they have ever been over the last year or so. So there's a lot of things out there that you just don't need to buy stocks today. So I have a question for Carter on that chart yes, where it broke down below. Where's the next stop? I didn't see where So uh, that's guesswork, too, but there are reference points. We know there's the June 3rd low. Uh, that's another 3 4%. And then there's an unfilled gap uh, a bit lower than that. So I think those are in play. I, I guess the real issue is this, and, and this is independent of the charts. I mean, what is the, what, I'm sorry, Carter. What is the June 3rd? Is it 28.15 or something Yeah, like that? 28, 28, okay. tw- and then a little bit lower than that. But the, the, the issue is... Um, for markets to go higher, it's one of two things, right? It is either multiple expansion or it is earnings growth. And that, at the end of the day, is the bottom line. Which of those, or is it a little bit of both of those, is actually going to happen and why? Right. So anyone can make a case for either of those right here? Multiple expansion? Okay, can't. Okay, there's one. Rhetorical questions yeah. he's asking, Mel. Oh, I oh, oh, <laughs> know the answer yeah. in Carter's yeah. mind. Um, I, look, I... I We've been in a range for a long time. Uh, there's a lot of ammunition for both sides. And frankly, um, I, again, the, the, the glass half full is we've digested an enormous amount of, of, of headwinds that if we actually get some solutions here and, and some clarity, even on where the Fed is going, uh, and we get some earnings that give some more clarity into all these CEOs who are either making or not making these investment decisions in their business, um, the markets have been sideways. Let's, well, let's be clear. Last question, question, Carter, and that is, I mean, does it make a difference that expectations going to earnings are so low, that expectations for a lot of things have been ratcheted lower? And so, therefore... You know, the ability to, to beat is much greater and bring the market higher. I think consensus higher. for a decline by 3.7%, mm-hmm. uh, and that would be the third year-over-year quarterly uh, decline in a row. Uh, you know, that's, you can say, is the bar so low we beat that? Yeah. I don't know. So far, the things that we've heard have not been very encouraging. There's not been a lot of beats, and the ones that have beat have been tepid in terms of their price action. Like Nike, like would you say Nike? Like Nike. I mean, Nike okay. hardly broke out, whereas the right. ones that have collapsed, like FedEx and Carnival Cruise, have been a disaster. Fresh new lows for FedEx today, by the way. Wow. Coming up, Voldemort strikes back. What Facebook did that sent shares of Snap tumbling today. Plus, Constellation Brands tanking despite an earnings beat, and it's all thanks to one investment that 
seems to be going up in smoke. We will explain Ooh. when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook appears to be taking yet another page out of Snap's playbook with the launch of its newest messaging app, Threads. Let's get to Julia Borson live in L.A. with all the details. Hey, Julia. That's right. Facebook launching what it's calling Threads by Instagram, a new app. This news sending Facebook shares higher by nearly 3%, while Snap shares are down 3.3% today on this news. Now, this new messaging app puts the camera front and center. It's designed for communicating with users, close friends from Instagram. Now, in addition to sharing photos and videos, users can also share their location as well as their status. Now, this is just the latest example of Facebook and Instagram borrowing some of Snap's most popular features, including stories and augmented reality lenses. These features helping drive Instagram to about half a billion daily active users, more than double Snap's roughly 200 million daily active users. Analysts are starting to weigh in on what this new app could mean for the competition between the two. Brent Thill of Jeffries saying, quote, we believe this is an incremental feature set that will only strengthen engagement at Facebook. For Snap, this is a speed bump, not a roadblock. The market is big enough for both. Victor Anthony at Aegis Capital says, quote, we see zero competitive threat to Snap and would buy the stock on weakness, given that advertising checks have been exceptionally strong. Now, one question is how Facebook will succeed launching an entirely new app where some of its past efforts to launch new standalone apps have fallen short and have failed and been shut down. Now, a list of standalone apps Facebook has shut down include Facebook's Poke for sending photos and videos that disappear within seconds, Slingshot for temporarily sharing photos and videos with groups of friends, and Instagram had a spinoff app called Bolt for sending messages that self-destruct. It never got a worldwide rollout. Now, we reached out to Snap for comment on Facebook's latest move to copy some of their features. They said no comment. Guys, back over to you. All right, Julia. Thank you, Julia Borston. And of course, um, we brought you the story just a couple weeks ago or so that Snap kept a dossier called Voldemort of all the sneaky things that Facebook, that they allege Facebook has done to copy their features. And this seems to be uh, yet another one for that dossier. Well, so what? I mean, the way I look at it is, is what are they going to do about it? And, and if you think about there's examples of this throughout time, including remember when Japan used to copy our stuff and make it better than us um, before there was China. And again, there wasn't even a trademark thing. So, so the fact that, that Facebook and therefore Instagram has this platform that's, that dwarfs Snap and, and can take ideas that are working in social media and actually execute better um, is, is kind of tough luck on Snap the way I look at it. And, and I think, yes, there may be anti-competitive elements of this, but in terms of basically copying ideas and putting new templates on them, so what? I, I mean, I think that's a good point, but in this day and age... But you'd think Facebook wouldn't want to do that? Right. It would be a little bit more too... <laughs> would be like Trump... Too too outright so what? what are you going to do about it? Yeah, exactly. They've like, earned it. They've earned the ability to do this with a, a billion and a half users. I mean, I just think it highlights how fragile Snap's business is. If you if the only you have no moat around your business, if Facebook can just copy what you do, what else do they have? To me, I, I don't know. I don't know why you would buy Snap on this news because no matter how good you are and what idea you come up with, Facebook's going to copy it from you. They have nothing else. I don't know also how much Facebook was on, up necessarily on this. We got a nice bounce today and, you know, alpha. It's been an outperformer relative to the markets even over the past couple of days. Yes. Yeah, so um, they're, they're wearing their, you know, antitrust well the last uh, few weeks. It's cheap on other metrics. I don't know how to factor that in, but I am long. 
Carter? What do the charts look like? Mm, I mean, Facebook is just sort of sometimes, and this is true, a stock is a waste of time. It's not bearish. Wow. Well, it's not bullish. Sometimes you're fairly priced. It just looks like Facebook is one of those stocks at one of those moments. I think we should have a list of Carter Worthisms. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, you know, fallow is one. Waste of time is good. I mean, so many of them. Um, from one bang sock to another. Let's get to Netflix here. Uh, Netflix falling flat in today's session. Bank of America putting on a new note, calling this quarter make or break for the stock. The analyst says investors are looking for signs that Netflix can compete in the new streaming landscape as Disney and Apple get ready to launch their new streaming services. So do you agree that this is a make or break quarter for Netflix? There is also, by the way, a Needham note saying that Netflix will have to lower prices in order to maintain their subscriber base in the United States, given the low prices of the competing streaming services. Well, if that's true, that's clearly bad. I don't think it's priced in for significantly lower. I mean, that is just margin chopping, right? Yeah. Well, remember when Netflix had pricing power? Yes. Right. That was that's what part, we of the were whole, part of the whole claim, oh. right? That they have infinite yeah. and inelastic, inelastic. Right. Raise uh, a couple bucks, people right. will pay it. And that worked for a really, really, really long time. Maybe now that finally all of these competitors are actually here, or almost here, or will be very shortly. Maybe that's the end of it. I, 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 can't, I can't get around the valuation of Netflix. I know Tim's had trouble with it for a long, long time. <laughs> and, and painfully, um, although I, I, I think I sought to not short the thing. Um, I think at around 250 on the chart, you know, you really have a major level. But more importantly, yes, the valuations people are looking at media companies, you know, good for the media companies that can expand their valuation. The biggest thing for Netflix right now also, I think, is, is there's a, I, I think, a saturated domestic market and international subs really need to grow. And that's been where there's been disappointment. So, um, no, I, I, I think this is a continues to be a painful moment also for a high multiple stock in a market that is not accepting companies that don't make money and yeah. burn cash. Yeah, this, this is not a market you want to be Netflix. This is not a market that you want to have a high multiple, don't make money, need the backup of the market, get that you know, pass that they used to get. The story here is broken. They used to have that pricing power. They used to have that growth. Yeah, there was competition coming, but it wasn't here yet. Now the competition is here. They don't have pricing power, and growth is slowing. So the story's broken means it's a broken stock. I mean, at worst-case scenario, let's say the competition comes in and, and, and caps their growth or limits it in some way, even at the margin, and they're not able to raise prices. Maybe they don't have to cut prices, but all that combined still equals um, less of a, of a you know, the leeway growth, for uh, growth. Right. And right. a broken business is a broken chart. I mean, you know, the thing's there down go. 30% in the past two months, and it's hovering ominously at a well-defined prior low. I think this is actionable. I'd be short. You'd be short this sure. stock. I love when he oh. picks the word actionable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to and waste then time. <laughs> Maybe. Short. We'll yeah. Okay. Would you, I mean, you said you wouldn't short it, thank goodness. No, I, I'm saying, I'm saying I, I didn't short it when I was wrong for a couple hundred bucks uh. on the way up. Um, but but I do think that the uh, the structural elements of this story are coming to Would you reconsider, a la your Tesla short, now that Carter has given it the worth stamp of approval for shorting? Well, uh, th- look, th- the moment for me on Tesla was was when it was clear to me there was a balance sheet issue. Um, and it wasn't that, you know, I, I, deliveries this or that. So um, Netflix doesn't have a balance sheet issue right now. Um, they have debt. Um, they've raised $3 billion of debt. They're burning cash. Um, but... Yes, I think it's going lower. Am I going to get out there and short it tomorrow? Probably not at these levels. Okay. Up next, shares of Constellation Brands getting crushed despite an earnings beat. Why the company's big bet on green made the stock go red, we'll explain. And later, it's been a wild week for the market with the VIX hitting its highest level in more than a month. But you may not want to hit the panic button just yet. We'll tell you why. 
Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors and Constellation Brands feeling a hangover today after the stock fell 6%. Despite strong earnings, today's buzzkill, the culprit behind the drop. Uh, cannabis, specifically Constellation's $4 billion stake in canopy growth, but pot stocks weren't feeling the pain. The group lighting up today on a smoking hot streak led by Canopy Ooh. and Aurora Cannabis. So why are these sinful stocks trading so differently? So so much uh, fun. In we had so much fun. Fun to treat. Um, so first of all, in terms of Constellation brands, uh, you know, I, there's no surprise here as to what's happened with the, the investment in, in cannabis. They were early. Uh, they wanted to be early. Uh, they made a commitment. They've reaffirmed that commitment. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think there's any hesitation at Constellation as to what they're doing. Um, I actually met with the CFOs of all three companies that are essentially uh, together now. That includes Acreage. And, and the commitment is, is resounding. Um, so ultimately, their core business, first of all, beer was better, margins were better, depletion right. rates were better, um, and I think the valuation makes a lot of sense. In terms of what's going on in the cannabis space, well, first of all, you have, you've had vaping headlines, you've had a number of companies that, that frankly could not forecast their business and did a very poor job in, in terms of telling you uh, where the growth was they were supposed to deliver, this hockey stick moment for a lot of these companies that, that frankly has never come. So I think the industry has done a lot of it to itself. Uh, a lot of these companies also use their stock and and essentially as a currency to go do other acquisitions. And therefore, um, people that are cynical will say there was misalignment between investors um, and the companies themselves. The companies were incented to get that stock price up so they could go out and do deals. Um, And and therefore, there's set up for a lot of disappointment. But the devastation in the cannabis space, if you think about it, I mean, Canopy at one point was down almost 55 percent off of of levels in April before this bounce. Last week was the down week for the sector where you had uh, a lot of stocks down 20 to 30 percent. Well, I mean, the expectation for earnings season aren't that great either uh, in terms of what's coming next for a lot of these stocks. And so there's some, uh, you know, readjustments of uh, earnings estimates and expectations going in. Yeah, so I, that brought them down as well. But think about what we talk about on the show, story stocks, Netflix, sure. you know, um, WeWork. I mean, these are companies, if they're not making money and they have no sign of making so money, this is another they're, they're, absolutely, bucket. Absolutely. Now, I don't think that that's canopy growth. Um, I think it's a company also that has $3 billion in cash in their balance sheet at a time there's extreme pain. I think they can be very opportunistic now, and I am long the stock. I'm with you. Uh, here's the thing. There are two types of weakness, right? There's weakness to stay away from, and there's weakness to take advantage of. And you have to decide which it is. In this case, uh, I think you take advantage of it. This quick sell-off, uh, very meaningful percentage, 210 to 190, a lot of support here. I think it's actually an opportunity, not a problem. Well, be sure to check out Jim Cramer's full interview with Constellation Brands CEO Bill Newlands. That's at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Coming up, it's already been a spooky month for stocks. But when options traders betting, there's nothing left to fear. We will break down all the action. <laughs> We're live at the NASDAQ and Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was another roller coaster day for stocks. S&P 500 down more than 30 points at the lows of the session before rebounding all the way into t- positive territory. All this is a VIX crack 21 before heading uh, back down into the teens. But as investors worry, this volatility spike is the first of many to come. One options trader made a bold bet that the worst may already be over. Mike's in San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so as you pointed out, we did see uh, the highest fixed levels that we've seen in just over a month today. That's not surprising given how the market has behaved this week quite poorly. 
One of the trades that sort of caught my eye, though, the January 22nd weekly options in the VIX were trading quite a lot. And I saw a seller of 7,500 of the 28 strike calls to buy the 16 strike puts. Now, the person who put this trade on collected about 50 cents a contract to do that. So while they are making a bet that it's not going to go above that 28 strike price, it doesn't have to go below the lower 16 strike put for them to see profits. In fact, essentially what they're doing is they will see profits if the VIX drops, uh, but they also will see some profits if it lingers in here. So I think this is somebody who is making a bet that if we do see any further weakness, it's likely to be drifting somewhat lower and not gapping sharply lower. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing here. And I think it's important for people to remember that the VIX will respond, as it did today, to movements in the S&P. When the S&P rises, you're going to see the VIX fall and vice versa. That isn't necessarily an indication that options premiums per se have risen or fallen. It's just a function of how the market is behaving intraday. Karen, what did you do with your VIX? Did you sell? I didn't, and I wish I had. I, I mean, this is the, this is the, we own. You told us if, it, if the if VIX spikes, if I know you're going to be a seller. Going to be a seller, and I, I blew it. Actually, I missed it, and I blew it. I, I would not. We talked yesterday. I wouldn't be a buyer yesterday. You know, you're buying insurance when your house is maybe it's not on fire, but it's smoking, and you know, really looks bad. That's not the time Cost to buy insurance. Money, yeah. So I think you know. I wouldn't be a buyer again until 15 or lower. And when it really feels like you absolutely don't need protection, everything's fine, that's the time you got to buy it. All right. Mike, thanks for that. We'll see you on Friday for more Options Action. Full show is on Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, final trades. Welcome back to Fast. A quick recap of the day. Stocks sold off hard in the morning on weak ISM services report before rebounding. Now the big uh, focus, of course, is tomorrow's jobs report. Let's say, sort of choose your own adventure. Let's say we get a stronger than expected number. What do you think happens with the market, Karen? I think it maybe trades down and then up. I would prefer that number. Why Uh, trade down? Just, oh, no Fed cut. Knee-jerk reaction. What do you think, Carter? See, I think that because it was so weak this today, based on the data, that if it's weak market shakes it off, and if it's strong, the market shakes it off. So either way, the market just, it's not, just does doesn't not do too much. Special. Quickly. I think the strong, strong payroll number, market's going to have a huge sigh of relief going into the weekend. I, I think the market would rally. Oh, big rally on a strong number. Yep. All right. Final trade time. Carter? Big precious metals down here. Another opportunity to get long. Silver, in particular. Karen? Happy birthday to my husband. I would take Aww. you to Disney. No, but I won't. But it is my final trade. Happy birthday. Love Aww. you. Happy birthday, Lawrence. Yeah, happy birthday, LG. Uh, SHY, short end of the yield curve, one to three uh, year current trade, one to three year bonds, you get 2% yield. Tim. Important night at the world's most famous arena, Mel. You know that the Rangers are opening their season tonight. And Constellation Brands, those numbers were fine. Their core business is actually doing better. Constellation. All right, see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.